0: Jenna Malone when she fucked the corpse? It was horrifying. I didn't know how to
1: react. But that happened in that movie. Um, yeah, that was fucked up, huh? (laughs) Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high.
2: Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. Welcome back to another episode of One More Thing. I'm Robert and this is Jay. They and can't
0: see me. I
2: am, <laughs> it! I mean, you're here. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about books. Literature. <laughs> Robert. Yeah.
0: What is your favorite book of all time? Harry Potter. Uh, what, what is your favorite queer book of all time?
2: Besides the ones that I brought with me today, I think I brought every queer book I've ever read today. Okay,
0: well then let's skip that portion. A little inside scoop about this episode, listeners, that we don't have a script. <laughs>
2: um, Actually, a little bit of an inside scoop for this episode is this is something that we wanted to do in season one, but then it got too complicated and we had to move it to season two. And so this is content that we've been wanting to bring you for a while. But yeah. it all kind of started with this list of lesbian novels that you made.
0: Yes. A friend of ours, a friend of the podcast, Stephanie Phoebus, wanted to read some lesbian books because she mm-hmm. was like, I can't find any lesbian books. So I made an extraordinarily comprehensive list of lesbian fiction for her that had like 25 books on it with like my opinions on every single one because... Something about me that listeners might not know is that I am, I've been described as a voracious reader. Pretty much all I do is read.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I will say I've never seen you with the same book.
0: Yeah. Did you read a lot when you were growing up?
2: Because I, I... Uh, especially because I had no friends in elementary school and middle school, I was like in the library all the time checking out books. I think I've read all the American Girl doll books because they were there.
0: Because I also read a lot when I was a kid and still do. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first time you ever
2: like read like a gay book? Yeah, it was yesterday. Oh, cool. uh, (laughs) No, I think the first time that I ever read a book where I read it because it was gay and there were gay characters in it very similar to stephanie when i was in the process of coming out i turned to a friend of mine and was like i want to read books that have gay characters in them and she was like oh well the only books that have gay characters in them are manga and i can give you like yaoi to read and she gave them to me but there's like they were like graphic like erotic things which i mean was fine (laughs) (laughs) but then i went through this whole like anime manga phase as everyone does. Right. Well,
0: I grew up reading just like anything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And my parents were just kind of like, fine, read whatever book, like, read this book, read this book.
2: <laughs> I imagine you sitting in the living room being like Chinese menu. Yeah,
0: I mean, so I don't really have a memory of the first time I read a like gay book because I just sort of was reading any book and there were gay characters. But I do remember the first time that I read like a gay book that like really impacted me was my junior year of high school. We got a Signed, My Antonia and Mrs. Dalloway.
2: Okay,
0: and oh, Mrs.
2: Dalloway, I know what that is. Yeah,
0: and My Antonia, for those who don't know, was written by Willa Cather, who is a very famous historical butch. Person who today would probably be a trans man, but Mm -hmm. in the time that Willa Cather was writing, I say she because she used she, was just like a, a butch woman. She sometimes went by William and would use he, but most of her life she used Willa and she. But My Antonia is a story that is not about like queer people, but it is like a very. So the main character is a boy and he is in love with a girl named Antonia, and the love that he feels for her. You can tell that it's different than the love that, like, most men feel for most women. And it's because she was writing it from her perspective. Huh. Because she was in love with women. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I was like, oh, interesting. And then, like, right after we read that, we read Mrs. Dalloway. So for those who don't know which, I mean, if, if you don't know Mrs. Dalloway turn off the podcast and go
2: unsubscribe (laughs) like I've never read it and I know what it is yeah
0: it's a Virginia Woolf novel that the titular character who is one of the narrators describes at one point a memory of kissing her female best friend and sort of having like confused feelings about that for the rest of her damn life and I remember just reading that and being like oh shit there are gay books out there and that actually when we after we read Mrs. Dalloway we then had to read The Hours Mm -hmm. or no we had to watch The Hours Mm -hmm. as like a because The Hours is based on Mrs. Dalloway. Have you ever seen it before? No I didn't know what it was
2: Uh, and
0: so I watched it and I was like my brain like short-circuited and I was like oh I see what's happening and then I like read it and then I read everything Michael Cunningham's never written. Was this just
2: like a lesbian section of the curriculum? (laughs) No. No. Was was your teacher oh, a <gasps>
0: lesbian? No, she, unfortunately, no. She didn't, I'm wrong. She didn't assign that. My senior year English teacher did, and he was a gay man. Gotcha. Anyway, that's the first time I can remember reading, like, a capital G gay book. And then, mm-hmm. of course, as, after I read The Hours, I was like, there's a whole world. And I, like, <laughs> came to college and your just started Your life was reading. ruined. I know. I was like, <laughs> oh, I'll never leave my room again. And then I read every lesbian book, every gay book
2: there wow. was. Leonard.
0: Always the years between us.
1: Always the years, always the love, always the hours.
0: sort of make it a goal of mine to read as diverse a sampling as possible mm-hmm. of like literature. So I really work hard to read books by trans writers and books by queer writers and books by like writers of all different like faiths and backgrounds like all kinds of things. Something that I've noticed is that as soon as I started making a concentrated effort to read more diverse literature in terms of gender and sexuality I shifted in a big way to reading young adult novels mm-hmm. which is why I think it's so interesting that neither of us really grew up reading like queer young adult novels. I was
2: just thinking about that. Now that I live in the city, it's a lot easier for me to read young adult novels because they're easier for me to focus on on the train. Mm -hmm. Like there can be noise happening around me, but the sentence structure is so basic that I can just like keep reading. Right. And they're so quick to flip through. Yeah, totally. Which is why I love, they aren't outwardly gay at this point, but Chris Colfer's book series, The Land of Stories is so easy for me because their books are huge. Like they're very long but uh, you can whip right through them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just read a book called As I Descended mm-hmm. by Robin Talley, which is, it's a young adult novel. Robin Talley is like a prolific young adult novelist, and most of her books are about queer female teenagers and mm-hmm. like trans teenagers. And As I Descended is, I think I told you about this, it's a retelling of the Scottish play with two female teenagers at a boarding school.
2: Oh, who yeah. Who are,
0: yeah, who are like the main characters, and the lady M character is disabled, and like walks with crutches and you don't know until this is like my favorite thing maybe I've ever read in a young adult novel is that 15 20 pages into the book's like she picked up her crutches and it's like oh whoa that's the first time it's ever mentioned that she's disabled. That's what I think is so like fascinating about young adult literature is that it's so much farther ahead Mm -hmm. in terms of diversity than like adult literature and like the mainstream American canon. John Green talks about how the reason he likes writing young adult novels is because you can like do anything in a young adult novel because teenagers are so much more willing to like go with you somewhere.
2: Neither of us read anything about coming out while we came out but have read things since meant for young adults about people coming out now that we're out.
0: When I was coming to terms with my sexuality, I was reading books about people who were, like, out. Like, mm-hmm. I was reading Sarah Waters's books, people who are already out, and the story is not like, how do I come out? And only in the last year or two have I read coming out books. Yeah. Because, I mean, coming out books, I sort of find generally, like, obnoxious.
2: Yeah, which is something that we talked about before we started season one of the podcast, is we were like, we don't want this to be a podcast about coming out. Yeah. Because... There's more to life after that. Sometimes when you read coming out books, there's like a weird pressure to be like, this is going to be sad. Yeah, totally, totally. And one thing that I really love about Five, Six, Seven, Nate, and Better Nate Than Ever by Tim Federley is that it's not sad. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because you watch this kid who's 10, nine, like, 10, 11-ish, maybe a little younger, come to terms with his sexuality without knowing what sexuality is over the course of two books. Uh Also, Tim Federley, if you're listening to this, I'm really waiting for a third book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that I feel like that's a novel for kids.
2: Yeah. And, and I wish that I had access to a book like this or that a book like this existed when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I feel like if I was, you know, 11, my parents would have been like, oh, here's a book about musical theater. And then like secretly like the gay yeah. dungeon was hidden in it. By the end of it, I would have been like, oh. I grew up going to like my middle school library and just like grabbing a book, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think there is sort of an
0: interesting thing about Robin Talley like Meredith Russo who wrote this young adult novel, If I Was Your Girl. And it's about this trans girl mm-hmm. who moves to a new town. Because she's trans, there's something I feel like for kids in middle school and high school who are just gonna like go to the library and be like, "I want to read whatever book is just like sort of there and has like a flashy, cool cover." Oh, I want to read a book about musical theater. I, so I'm gonna read five, six, seven, eight. I want to read a book about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Then I would read *As I Descended*, which turns into a lesbian book. I just think it's really cool that young adult literature has sort of been like infiltrated in this really all-encompassing way. I will also just sort of pick up young adult novels because I. Feel find them very interesting not because I think they're going to be queer books Mm -hmm. and then they'll just end up having like a queer plot like I just the other day read a book a young adult novel about a school shooting Mm -hmm. that I don't remember the name of because honestly at this point I don't remember the name of every book I read (laughs) and I was just like reading it and all of a sudden it was like her girlfriend blah blah and I was like oh all right great (laughs) that happens like all the time like I'll just pick up a young adult novel randomly and read it and there'll just be like a queer plot line which I think is so great but then it's also sort of horrid because like that doesn't that's not really happening in adult fiction. Like I can count on one hand the number of books I've read in the last year that weren't specifically queer or trans books that had just a casual queer plot line.
2: What's your favorite fiction lesbian book? The Hours. What's The Hours about?
0: I I guess I'll sort of set The Hours aside because it's not really a lesbian book. It's more just like a queer book in general. Okay. So setting that aside, I would say my two favorite lesbian books are The Color Purple by Alice Walker. And Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. Yes. Wait,
2: Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe?
0: Yeah, that's the full title of the book.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've also never seen Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah.
0: And also, interestingly, neither of them is from the 21st century. Like, they're both from, <laughs> like, over 30 years now. <laughs> the Color of Purple is sort of, like, a classic lesbian novel. And what I really like about it is that I haven't ever really read a book that so succinctly and Accurately captures like what it means to be queer when you can't come out. You know, hmm. for those who don't know, in *The Color Purple*, the main character Celie falls in love with Shug Avery, who is a woman, uh-huh. and Shug falls in love with her back, and they sort of have this relationship for many years. And by the end of the book, er, Shug Avery. <laughs> okay, triggering. Um, and by the end of the book, Celie has like come to terms with her sexuality, but she, because of the circumstances she lives in, can't be like. I'm gay. Mm-hmm. You know, she all she can say is like, I'm here. Oh, I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> <laughs> on that. And then Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. So for people who haven't seen the movie or read the book, Fried Green Tomatoes, the movie is about a woman visiting her husband's mother in her nursing home. And she becomes friends with an older woman who sort of like tells her her life story. And the life story involves these two women who were like close friends in the movie it's just sort of hinted at like they were definitely together but in the book I saw the movie before I read the book and then I read the book because I really enjoyed the movie and in the book they literally are a couple and live together Hmm. and like raise a child together and it's just sort of like and everyone knew that like those two were together and it's just like sort of very, there's like never a scene where Iggy is like, I'm gay and I'm in love with you. They grow up together and they're best friends and then they like live together and then they realize that like, oh, they also have feelings for each other and then they just go from having two rooms to having one room. It's just a very sort of beautiful romance that's sort of like a classic book romance that just happens to be between two women, which Mm -hmm. I've said many times on this podcast is what I greatly prefer to like sort of a a story where it's like, look at these gay people! Where it's just like they're enjoying their lives and they're gay. Oh, Edie, what's your mother gonna say when she sees us both drunk? <laughs> you gotta stop worrying about what people think.
1: I know. I mean, you've always done the right thing. You took care of your daddy, the preacher, when he took sick. You take care of all the kids over to the church school. You're gonna take care of your mama. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know, I'm gonna marry the man I'm supposed to. You're getting married? As soon as the summer's
2: over, I've talked to you about that a lot, that I like to read books where the plot isn't about the character being gay, yeah, but it's not ignored. Yeah. And that, plus not being able to come out mm-hmm. in that environment, leads me to my favorite queer book, which is Hero yeah, by which Perry Moore. Yeah, we
0: have briefly discussed before.
2: Hero by Perry Moore, who has passed, and it was really sad. He was in the process of making this a movie, and I still think that it would be... It's basically in the world of The Incredibles by Disney and Pixar. <laughs> 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 It's about this teenager whose dad is basically Superman but he has aged and has forbade his son from dabbling in anything superhero-y. He's in the closet because he has superpowers Mm -hmm. and he has to keep those hidden from his dad. But he's also in the closet because he's gay and he's dealing with both of these things and how to come out. And he kind of gets swept up into this world of superheroes and goes through all this training to join this version of the Justice League. In the process, discovers himself and falls in love with this guy and it's really great and I think it's it's just such a fun book and everyone should read it but it's like what we were talking about earlier where it's not meant for like kids Mm -hmm. it's maybe more meant for high schoolers
0: so that came out what 10 years ago
2: Ooh, 2007
0: yeah oh so 10 years ago I was sitting here thinking like maybe I should pick a favorite gay book that's like not from the 70s Ah! So, (laughs) so I was thinking about like recent gay books that I really liked, and I really enjoyed Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Dennis Benn. It's something that I really enjoy in literature, which is, like, a story about queer people who aren't, like, white queer people in, like, urban America, Mm -hmm. you know? It's about a family of three women in Jamaica, and the mother, there's the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter, and the mother works at a hotel as, like, the manager, and she is closeted. Mm -hmm. And that's just, like, one of the plot lines, is, like, her and her girlfriend, like, figuring out what is going to become of them. Hmm. And it's just this sort of really interesting and brilliant book, because we, as, like, white gay people who live in New York City, don't really get a lot of opportunities to, like, engage with stories about queer people who aren't white and upper middle class. Mm -hmm. It's just a really good story about queer people not in the environment that we usually think of them in. Mm -hmm. Which is also something that I really like about Janet Mock's writing.
2: Did she have a book that just came out that was about her?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has two memoirs. One mm -hmm. came out a few years ago and the other came out just a couple months ago. And she grew up in Hawaii and she was a sex worker. She's worked at Marie Claire. She's like worked all over the place. She's a brilliant writer. She's an MSNBC show. If you don't know who Janet Mock is, get on board. She's like the greatest living person she has written two memoirs and they're both sort of like the first one is about she has said like the first one is like trans 101 Mm -hmm. and it's the thing that she like says in her speaking engagements that's like this is what being trans is for cis people the first one was called redefining realness the second one that just came out is called surpassing certainty and that one she has said is like you like you have trans 101 now you can read this book and it's a more like nuanced delicate look at what it is to be a trans woman in a society that is not incredibly welcoming of hmm. trans women.
2: Tell me about that book that you suggested for me to get my cousin for Christmas. What is it? Adam, Adam? Adam? Adam.
0: Yeah, it's called Adam. It's one of my favorite books. It's by Ariel Schrag. It's currently being adapted into a movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's this really great book about this, this teenage cis boy named Adam who comes to New York for the summer to spend some time with his sister, who is a lesbian, mm-hmm. and he sort of like starts hanging out. Out the lesbian crowd and there's a misunderstanding where people start thinking he's a trans guy mm-hmm. and he realizes that queer women are often more open to like sleeping with trans guys than with cis guys mm-hmm for like any number of you know psychological reasons gender is a prison and doesn't exist but whatever and so he pretends to be a trans guy and starts a relationship with this girl who identified as gay but like falls in love with him and thinks he's a trans guy and so he he like won't take off his shirt off at the beach because he's like googled like what do trans men do uh. <laughs> and so he like won't take off his shirt at the beach and she's like oh I get it but like you can be comfortable taking off your shirt sure in front of me and he's like I'm just not ready yet and he'll like pretend to be using a strap-on, but it's actually, like, his dick, but he'll, like, ah! be like, I want the lights off because I'm, like, self-conscious about it so that he can use his dick, and it, like, raises these really interesting issues of consent gender, and, like, he, like, doesn't identify as trans, but he gets, like, so deep into this lifestyle that he like starts to be confused and question things. When the book ends, he s- still identifies as a cis guy and his ex-girlfriend is with a different trans man. It's basically just this sort of really interesting look at trans people from a cis perspective that I think is a really good read for anyone who wants to read more Trans literature that isn't just sort of like tortured coming out memoirs. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's hard to find. It's it. it, I I know it's very hard to find trans fiction. You know, I mentioned if I was your girl by Meredith Russo. You know, it's just very hard to find books with trans characters Mm -hmm. because people like don't want to write them. Let's quickly just sort of talk about some recent queer books we've really enjoyed. Yeah. I mentioned Here Comes the Sun Mm -hmm. by Nicole Dennis-Benn. I mentioned Surpassing Certainty by Janet Mock, which are two books that I've really liked in the last like six, seven months. I also just read a book called Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney, which is a Canadian book about a bisexual woman and her lesbian best friend Hmm. who sort of enter into this like weird tortured relationship with a heterosexual couple. It's a really fast read Mm -hmm. and it is another one where it's like them being queer is not part of the story. Because the bisexual woman ends up sleeping with the husband of the straight woman and the lesbian falls in love with the straight woman. Mm -hmm. And so like it could happen it's just about like two couples with complicated relationships which is you know like every story about straight people ever. And you just read
2: a book called Intimacy Idiot by Isaac Oliver. I guess you can call him an up-and-coming writer in the city. I love his stuff because it's very real To sum it up, it's a book of little essays. It kind of gets a little darker and a little sadder as it goes on, and it's really beautiful and it's really, really well written. You also gave me a copy of Dancer for the Dance. Yes. Or Dancer from the Dance, which I'm about halfway into. I have to keep taking breaks because the gays in it are a little mean, but I really like it. What I'm cutting in with it, though, is queer graphic history.
0: How are you enjoying that?
2: It's not what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like a queer history, and it's a graphic novel about queer theory, which I was not expecting, but I'm not upset about. It's very interesting. It's definitely helpful for me, someone who doesn't like to sit down and read nonfiction. Yeah. Because there are pictures.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My favorite queer book that I've read recently, it's called I Hate Everyone But You, and it's by Gabby Dunn and Allison Raskin, who are also they have a YouTube channel called Just Between Us. It's completely told through, like, texts and emails. Oh. And, yeah. And it's about these two best friends who go off to college, and one of them goes to college in their hometown, one of them goes to Emerson in Boston. And And they... You know are keeping in touch via like text and email and the one who goes to Emerson goes through a process of like discovering her sexuality and that's like the main thing of the book is them like trying to navigate their new lives and like how their best friendship fits into their like new friendships and new relationships and like the straight one starts dating a guy and the like queer one starts dating a girl and it, and they're just like trying to navigate what's going on and I really honestly could not recommend it higher I read it in two hours <laughs> <laughs> because it's so fast because it's all texts and emails. It's another example of like a young adult novel that is very like openly
2: queer and it's like very chill. This episode sounds great so far. Thank you. Where can I find you guys normally? My address it's 22
0: (laughs) you can find us on twitter at one more thang instagram at one more thang facebook at one more thing podcast and if you really want even more content go to tinyletter.com slash one more thing
2: do you know what i'm gonna do what while i'm listening to the rest of this episode i'm gonna pull up those apps and follow you
0: oh my god that's amazing you know what else you should do while you're listening what subscribe on itunes
2: oh i have a question yeah how do i tell you that i love Your podcast. On
0: iTunes, you can just open up the reviews section, rate us, review us. One more question.
2: One more thing, if you will. Sure. What happens if I have, like, a hot friend that I want to hook up with, Robert or
0: Jay? Then you should email one more thing, with the number one, podcast at gmail.com with your friend's headshot and resume, and we'll decide whether we want to date them. Anna will screen all applicants (laughs) and decide whether we want to date them, and then we'll forward them. Our types
2: are as follows. (laughs) A book that you suggested for me was Nevada Mm -hmm. by Imogen Binney, which is about a trans punk woman named Maria who goes on a trip of self-discovery and runs into this person named James in Nevada. Everyone should read it. It's a really good book.
0: And the author is a trans woman, which we love because we love when trans people write trans stories. And the author also is Is on on the the phone with us us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) right now as we speak. Hi, welcome to the podcast, Imogen. Hey, thank you. Tell our listeners what you do. What do I do? I guess I'm a writer, although that
1: right now takes up a lot less time in my life. I'm kind of like a social worker
2: and therapist, oh. actually. But I feel like my, my writing gets more attention than my social work. Well, what got you into writing? Oh man, it, you know what? It was being a
1: trans kid who didn't want to talk to other people and like going to my brother's baseball games and being like, I want to read novels instead of paying attention to sports. <laughs> And eventually, like, reading so many novels that I felt like, okay, I guess it's time to start writing, and spent a lot of time writing awful, awful fiction, like you're supposed to do in your teens and early 20s, and then eventually I got kind of better at it, and then I kept doing it, I don't know, I feel like that's not <laughs> the most interesting.
0: Who were sort of like the authors in the books that influenced your style? Because you have a very specific style in your fiction.
1: It probably wasn't a lot of the people that I was reading when I was younger. Because when I was a kid, it was sort of the heyday of popular horror fiction uh-huh. and so do y'all know Dean R. Koontz? does that name mean anything to you yeah I was like obsessed
2: with Dean Koontz when I was in junior high and Dean Koontz, it turns out is like a hardcore like conservative republican who donates like millions of dollars every year to evil but oh that's great! So, cool. you know, oh, I didn't know that. I was just like well, like this is
1: fucked up. I'm obsessed with this. And so <laughs> my library had a ton of Dean Kit's books and I read all those and I read a lot of Stephen King and it's really just like super into horror as a kid, which I think is still true, although I haven't written as much horror.
0: Do you feel like that sort of like horror mentality of like gross and suspenseful things impacts the way you write now? Because I definitely think, especially in Nevada, there's sort of like a slow burn aspect to
1: it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Good insight. Well done. I maybe. I mean, I so I have a, a horror story in an anthology that's out now called Meanwhile, Meanwhile Elsewhere. That's sort of like. Do you know
0: what creepypasta is? I like- oh my god, I love creepypasta. <laughs>
2: what? No, what?
0: Oh, you would hate creepypasta? It's amazing. You know, it's like
1: microfiction that sort of, it feels like it's written by people who are in junior high. And this idea is just to be like really scary and creepy. And a lot of it is really bad, but a lot of it feels like it's like people who are super deep into Pokemon but want Pokemon to be terrifying. <laughs> and so they write a story about like haunted Pokemon cartridge that you get sucked into. And then there's like all these dead kids in it. And it's like, you know, it's pretty hokey, but there's also something really nice about how sort of it strips away all the other stuff, and it's just like a story that's there to do its job as a story, and it's not really about like dial or like the pacing is just super direct in this way that I don't know. There's something really appealing and, and amateurish about a lot of it in a lot of ways, and so yes, I have this story that's in a book that just came out recently that's called Game That's about like a haunted. Somebody downloads a Legend of Zelda game from the internet that's haunted and kill people, get <laughs> a and a good story about creepypasta or a good fake creepypasta y'all know who uh, Red Durkin
0: is? no nor does Robert he's shaking his head she, no. said. <laughs> um,
1: she it used to be like a like YouTube trans lady comedian type person who made a lot of videos that did really well and now she kind of like works in a bookstore and doesn't make YouTube videos anymore and everybody misses them but she's also super deep into horror and so she's had a lot of smart things to say about trans women and horror too and I think part of the appeal there is sort of like you know thinking about like literary fiction and being kind of like okay like this is a lot of stories about just people where like it's hard for me to relate to this you know what I mean like obviously I can understand what's going on emotionally for like normal people or whatever but there's something about like supernatural horror or ghosts or whatever that just feels like more intense or like empathizing with the other I feel like there's a lot of like horror theory that you can talk about for why it's so compelling I think too but I did grow up reading a lot of like literary fiction like I think around when I was in high school and I decided to become like a pretentious like literary like indie rock type Person. I wound up reading a lot of literary fiction that really sort of poisons me for writing horror in that way. It's hard for me not to make whatever I'm working on sort of be literary...
0: Fictioning. We read an interview uh, where you said that when you were writing Nevada. Also, do you say Nevada or Nevada? I don't know. Oh, great. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't figure it out either. I think I say Nevada. Nevada. But I, I don't. It's, it's confusing because it's a Spanish word, but a
1: lot of Spanish words when they're used in America are like just generally abstract, But I, I actually have no idea. I think I do usually say Nevada, but I don't know what the right
0: answer is. Great. We'll say Nevada. So we read an interview <laughs> where you said that when you were writing Nevada, you were interested in writing a book about a trans woman or trans women for a specifically trans audience, which is related to what you said about not being able to relate to cis books. Did you ever feel like when you were sort of like in the process of promoting it or doing like any sort of book tour-esque thing that people wanted to like sort of shove you in a corner and be like this is the trans book for the trans audience or that that sort of like impacted the way cis reviewers read it and talked about it
1: yeah definitely to an extent like if the, if the there was a review in publishers weekly that was sort of like there's nothing for us to learn from this story and I was like, <laughs> okay like there wasn't supposed to be like <laughs> you're clearly looking for something that this book isn't I feel like around that time too when the book came out, I was doing a lot of shit talk about trans memoir because there's been so much trans memoir that's just like really sort of spoon feeding, really easy versions of like what it is to be trans to fit people in sort of a almost like grovelling, you know, desire for approval like or or tolerance in Mm -hmm. a way that just like always feels so gross and I feel like I still stand by a lot of that but I also feel like a lot of it was kind of shit talk because there are any number of constraints on what sort of stuff you can and can't publish right like it's only in the last five, ten years that Topside Press, who published Nevada, could even have existed, and so, on top of that, there's been a lot of memoir, good memoir that's been published in the last bunch of years, but, you know, it turns out sort of the real problem is just the reification of, like, whiteness and middle-classness in a lot of those memoirs that was sort of the problem, more than the fact that they were trans memoir. So that's been expanding, and that's been really good. But yeah, totally, there's also a lot of assumption that Nevada was memoir, or, like, thinly veiled memoir, and my my take on it was always, like, you know, if you read Stephen King, there are always a lot of, like, straight dudes from Maine who speak in kind of, like, filthy aphorisms who live in small towns. And, like, that's Stephen King talking about his life, you know what I mean? And the fact that he probably hasn't actually interacted with, like, demonic clowns or whatever is the part of fiction. And so, like, that question of how much of this is autobiography or autobiographical is kind of an unfair one. And also, like, to some extent, who cares? Like, you know what I mean? I feel really lucky that Nevada, I guess I do say Nevada, um, that Nevada <laughs> connected with the audience that it did. Because you know, like I said before, I I have a day job. The goal was never to. Get rich off of like writing, and so to some extent by like being like, uh, it okay, I'm not actually gonna try to make a career out of this. You know what I mean? It took like five years to write a relatively short novel because
0: I was working in bookstores the whole time. Did you write the two sections of it simultaneously, or was it like a very chronological situation? One of the sort of, I don't know, it's not a secret. It's not like a secret about Nevada,
1: but one of the things about it is that I actually did the first draft during National Novel Writing Month. You know, uh, NanoRama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. NaNoWriMo is kind of an incredible way to get a first draft of a book, and so I had. A sense of what i wanted it to be when i did the first draft but it took a bunch of years to get it to the place where it was actually like worth showing to people yeah i mean you know it was written chronologically for sure and i knew that kind of what i wanted to do with it but it took a long time to take this like hunk of sentences that i had made and sort of whittle it into something <laughs> that worked i well, I went to college i studied english in college and then i moved to new york city like a lot of people do mm-hmm. and i was working at this bookstore called the strand where there's a ton of really um it's like stuff I hadn't been exposed to before and I started reading um I guess I first read Kathy Acker as an undergraduate although I was you all know Kathy Acker yeah
0: I I do Robert doesn't yeah
1: (laughs) she's incredible she like you read her and you feel like you could punch a cop and get away with it (laughs) and I was supposed to read her as an undergraduate but I don't think I did which is probably for the best because the story that I was supposed to read in college is called Kathy Goes to Haiti and I think it's kind of a fucked up story like she's definitely not unproblematic but when I was working at the strand I was reading I, I they had like all of her stuff would come in it's a giant used bookstore and so I wound up reading through most of her
2: stuff and there's this other writer named Dennis Cooper y'all know Dennis Cooper I do I've heard of it uh, oh Dennis, yes yeah. Robert so Dennis Cooper writes a lot about young gay men kind of
1: consensually or like semi-consensually dismembering each other and doing a lot of drugs and it's just like pretty fucked up stuff and again like you could build a case that it is irredeemably (laughs) problematic but for whatever reason similar thing like reading his books it's clear just this dude who is obsessed with this thing and kind of keeps writing different versions of this thing and it feels really like he's just stoked to be writing what he's writing about and that stuff like those two I feel like were the ones that really helped me figure out where I was going because before them I'm sorry that I just keep naming author names
0: but um, no we love it we'll make a reading list okay so yeah so before I move to New York kind of obsessed with
1: this writer named Amy Thunder, who um, writes kind of like like magical, realist stuff that my friend Daphne described as like too cute. She's like, I can't read it because it's too cute, but it was before I came out as trans and I was like, it was definitely some like sublimated gender stuff, but also she's great. I just sort of lost track of her, but she was really like kind of cute and sweet and grim a lot of the time too, but it was really including like Dennis Cooper and Kathy Ocker, both of whom have roots, I guess, in like punk subcultures of the 70s and 80s. So I was sort of like, oh, okay, I can just like do this, you know what I mean? I think there's also a big piece of it, there's just I learned to write on Live journal and Live journal, right? I think Maria has a live journal.
0: We have some questions oh. about a TV show that you wrote for that we don't know if you're allowed to talk about. But yeah, totally. Oh, great! <laughs> I got it. The TV show is called Doubt. For our listeners who don't know, it was a TV show starring Katherine Heigl and Laverne Cox and Stephen Pasquale. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. That was on CBS, and it was canceled after two episodes, and then the rest of the episodes aired this summer. Mm-hmm. And Imogen was a writer for it.
1: 24 years ago, Amy Myers was murdered in Gramercy Park. Can you win this case?
2: It's a big risk.
1: We could go to trial, but it won't be easy. I'm going to prove to you that I'm innocent. Innocence doesn't matter. Winning this
2: case matters. You just have to trust me. I need you to know I didn't kill her. The new drummer, Doubt. And it's kind of funny...
1: Because it wasn't the first time that I'd been invited to, out to LA to work on TV, but it's the first time I said yes. Soon after Nevada came out, I got an email from Bill you know, always uh, personal assistant about um, like we're going to be doing this show called Transparent. Like here's a link to the pilot that we made. You know, watch this and tell us what you think. And so I got to see this like pre-release pilot for Transparent that they were shopping around before they sold it to Amazon. And I watched it and I was a little bit like this is not my favorite thing. Um, so they were like you know watch that tell us what you think and then like pitch us an episode and so i was like all right what is happening is like lots of like queer and trans like latino people in la where the show is that like there's a thing that happens at trans support groups where like sort of race and class lines cross in a way that they don't happen in a lot of other places so i was like what i want to see is i want maura to go to the like underground like queer latin kid like crime court show and i want her kids to come over at the end of the night and they're like, you know, we've all been really like selfish, horrible people because that's what the show is about. And she's listening to like really abrasive, like screamy queer metal. Um, and it alienates her children. I was like, I think that would be funny and an interesting place to take this. And they were like, you know what? Maybe we don't want you to <laughs> write it for our show. And so I didn't get the invite then, but then they did the first season. And I guess they were getting a lot of pushback because I don't think at that point they had any trans people in their writers' room. I had sort of been like, you know, there have been lots of critiques of Transparent that I don't need to get into. I actually haven't watched it that pilot not so much because of the like political stuff around like the titular trans character as an obstacle to the cis people characters in the show but that I've heard because I didn't watch it but just because I was sort of like this is a show about a bunch of really unlikable people <laughs> that for me, I haven't been able to watch Seinfeld or like curb your enthusiasm in the way that this too just like so hard for me to, to watch. So it was more of a like a case thing. It just like wasn't my thing. But so they invited me out after they did the first season, and at that point I had just gotten a job at a domestic violence agency in New England, where I was living. And I was like, you know what? I actually, just got a job, that I'm pretty stoked about. So thanks for the invitation, but I think I'm gonna stick around here. And so I'm not ready for that show. But then when Joan got in touch with me, she was just kind of bouncing off the walls and, and very enthusiastic. But uh, kind of a total weirdo communicating, like, okay, we want you to write it for a show, and we've been talking to CBS, and we don't know if it's going to happen, but I'll let you know if we can invite you, but would you do it? And, you know, she's very enthusiastic. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. she was like, Laverne Cox is on this show, and we want you to write it because we want to do what you want to do. Or, like, it wasn't like a, you're trans, and we want to have a trans writer. It was, like, obviously that was a part of it because I'd written a book about trans people and that stuff, but that wasn't really how it was presented. They were like, we want your voice in our room. And so, yeah, it's actually, I was doing the social work stuff you now, but they were like, can you uh, come out to LA in a week and a half? And I was like, you know what? All right, <laughs> for Laverne Cox so I like barely had enough time to give notice at my job you know my my partner who I've been with for like 10 years around back I went to LA and I got to be a big deal hotshot like Hollywood TV writer which was so rad it was such a good experience cannot recommend highly enough writing a debut novel that's super well received and then becoming a TV writer on the back of
0: it <laughs> 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 was that your first time ever writing like script slash dialogue situation yeah definitely
1: it was it was wild because uh, you know I did a lot of research I read a lot of books about screenwriting and to some extent extent like story is story and conflict and like character development and plot and all these things do translate and so uh, to some extent I felt okay walking into the writer's room and being like look I know a thing or two about story like I Written a novel. I've written a lot of bad fiction. I've written some fiction that's better. I've like had things published. I've been writing this magazine column for a long time. Like I know how to tell a story. And also, like you know, if I had had any degree of success when I was in like my early or mid twenties, I would have been a monster. And so I felt pretty lucky that I was walking into that room in my mid thirties with a lot more humility, kind of thing. Like I don't actually need to be the boss of this shit. Like there are a lot of people in this room who have a lot more experience than me, and I am actually here to learn how to do this well, rather than to be the asshole who like shows up and thinks she knows everything. Yeah. So. Turned out that was like a pretty good attitude to approach it from because it wound up being a a great experience. The writer's room was so many great people. Like, I feel like it's a super kind of kiss-ass Hollywood thing to describe it in the rosy terms that I drive it in, but it was really, honestly, like Tony and Jones set up a great room. They talked about before I came out, they were like, we have a no-asshole policy in our writer's room, and it wound up being true. It was a lot of really good people. So, yeah, so to some extent, you know, they were like, we were at this scene, and this one wound up having no idea. I mean, like, you know, knowing how to. Lay it out and use a screenwriting program to write a scene but like no experience it is high stakes for them to be like write the scene where like the Billy Brennan character is talking to a kid who has a disease that he's going to cure that's going to be like the third episode of the show it was terrifying and I didn't know what I was doing but by the end of the show um you know I don't feel like I'm great at it I feel like Rose is kind of always going to be home but you know a lot of support from the people in the room um I don't know yeah I feel like I figured it out <laughs> it was you know a lot of help to figure it out
0: was everyone else in the room did they all have like a long history of screenwriting or was it all sort of like just sort of people that they had plucked from all sort of like disciplines and all over the world like you no there was a ton of
1: experiences in the room and in some ways i was definitely the least experienced there were three staff writers which is like the lowest rung on the ladder who hadn't i don't think written for tv shows before so i was one of them but there were people like john Roos, who's been writing tv and movies since the early 80s i think it was a huge writers room there was like almost a dozen of us in there i think if you count the showrunners which you the room, I guess, is not always that big, but I didn't really have anything to compare it to. First day that I got there, we were talking about LaFerne's character, and I sort of, like, I feel pandered to and pissed off whenever a trans character has to talk about their genitals on TV, and I, like, never want to hear that, ever. Kind of got some pushback from one of the writers there, who I went, went on to, like, really be close friends with, and maybe and, and close friends is too strong word, but somebody who I have a lot of respect for, who's been really kind to me, and I've had really good experiences with. We've, like, butted heads on the first day, and then it wasn't until much later, I was like, oh my god, like, I I just, like, on the first day, like, laid it out in this way where I was like, I'm actually not backing down on this to somebody who has so much more experience on TV writing and, like, in Hollywood than I will ever have. But it totally wound up working out. It was were great. Like I said, it it wasn't people being jerks. People were really eager to be supportive of the people who didn't have experience
0: there, so. Was there any sort of pressure ever to be like, we've got, like, Laverne's character has a storyline this week, so it's gotta be Imogen writing it? No, I mean, that wasn't the
1: pressure at all. If there was any pressure, it was me being like, you guys, let me fucking handle this. (laughs) You know what I mean? vision, like, I know what I want to see happen here, and to an extent, like, one of the things that was a benefit there, in terms of, like, writing for, presumably a majority of this audience for the show, is, if I'm saying, like, I, as a trans person watching a show, if it's did this, i fucking hate it, and so I don't think we should do that, was that I really, like, rather than being like, well, as a trans person, blah, blah, I really, like, kind of had to defend the things that I wanted to do, and not defend, that makes it sound like there were people kind of going after me, like I said, people were on board, just in terms of, like, narrative and story, if I couldn't explain why it would be a better story because the thing that I wanted to do happened then, you know, it, it wouldn't have water. So it really did make me sort of be able to articulate exactly what's so boring about like everything that you ever see about trans people on TV and movies.
0: I mean, there was that great scene with Jen Richards and Angelica Ross where they all were just sort of like uh-huh. hanging out, having, I think it was brunch. I mean, all food looks the same, but <laughs> so they're having some sort of meal. I mean, obviously it was like written all about everywhere that it was like a completely revolutionary scene in the way they talked about dating. What does 10% a date mean?
2: It means it's a
0: date.
1: doesn't matter I'm gonna cancel. Why? Because I don't know what he's after. I mean, it's just a field trip? Maybe he wants to study the transgender flora and fauna and then go back home? Maybe, he just likes you. Or maybe he's a chaser. He was just staring at her at the back of the courtroom.
2: Better than your current boyfriend, MVP. He won't even be seen in public with you. Yes, he will. Has he taken you to dinner? Yes. Room service at the Four Seasons
1: doesn't count. Boom. At least with MVP, we've already been through all the questions.
2: Yeah, but with MVP, it's all on his terms. When he wants it, where he wants it, how he wants it. How does he want it? MVP is never gonna turn into anything real. So you might as well just tell us who he is. You can't just say you're dating some famous pro athlete and leave us hanging. Spill the tea girl.
1: Do I do the 10% date or not? Yes. No. That's exactly how I feel. Oh god. It's, it's hard to go back there, it was like a year ago and, and not mythologize and just remember the like sort of mundane version of what happened. I mean, I think, you know, again, I don't want to take credit for anything that isn't mine to take credit for, and so I don't want to be like, yeah, yeah, that was my idea, because I don't think it was, but, you know, it's a writer's room, and so ideas are kind of getting kicked around a lot, and so I feel like my thoughts on that stuff were definitely a part of how that scene got written, but I think that episode was written by Johnny Norton and so I think he might have actually, like, we talked about that scene a lot, and I was like, you know, here's what would piss me off about that scene, and, and, like, I really don't want to overstate my role in that stuff, but as a voice in the room, I feel like I could defend the stuff that I was saying well enough to, to be heard. You know what I mean? And so Johnny wound up writing that scene, and it was good. And he showed it to me. He was like, you know, is anything in here fucked up? And I was like, eh, maybe, it's like, I forget, maybe there was one line where I was like, I might use a different word here. But for the most part, you know, it's less about like the specific words on the page and more about like why the shit that is fucked up and boring is fucked up and boring. Like if you can articulate, look, here's why everybody always wants to make the trans girl talk about her junk, and here's why that's fucked up and boring, and here's why it would be more interesting to do it a different way. You know, the the writers in the room, uh, I was almost going to be like, yeah, yeah, they got on board. Like I told explain it to them and again I'm not trying to be like man I was really like I nailed it like the reason that show was, wow. was because of me because that was not the deal at all but in terms of like being able to contribute to that stuff I, I just feel really lucky to have been able to be a part of a room where my voice was taken seriously you know what
2: I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we're gonna take a break with Imogen and then we'll be right back to talk about some movies Oh my god, Jay, I was listening to our episodes and they sound so much more high quality than season one. What happened? Well, thanks to our Patreon subscribers, we were able to get a
0: new microphone (gasps) and a new recording space. Oh my gosh. It's like Patreon subscribers help the podcast? It's exactly like that. And you know what? we help them in return. What do we do? Well, for only $1 a month, we give them a whole extra bonus episode.
2: I definitely have $1 a month. Sometimes, I even have five extra dollars a month. What could I do with $5 to benefit the podcast?
0: Well, if you become a subscriber at our $5 level, you'll get a video every month where you'll get to see our hot faces.
2: What? (laughs) Thanks, Anna. I need that content in my life.
0: Go to patreon.com slash one more thing. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot c-o-m slash o-n-e-m-o-r-e-t-h-i-n-g. <laughs> See you next time.
2: <laughs> I hear that you're really big into movies. Yeah, I guess that's
0: true. It's
1: funny, I have a podcast about movies. And, yeah. And um, I, I, I never really like, thought of myself as a hardcore movie person, but... In looking at my life I guess I watch a lot of movies
0: yeah we want to talk to you about because you had a whole episode of your podcast about it the, the neon, neon demon. demon we saw it two years ago we still have no idea what happened in it <laughs> yeah totally
1: I agree when I know that I'm gonna see a movie I try not to learn anything about it like I don't want to see the preview or anything I just want to go and be kind of surprised which by the way did y'all
2: see mother <gasps> yes yes I did <laughs> Jay has not yet. I also, I saw it, and at the end, I was like,
1: and Darren Aronofsky thinks he's so much smarter than he actually is, and then two hours later, I was like, I need to see that again. Same. So, yeah, but anyway, Neon Demon, I want to watch it again, because I saw that, like, by myself, I think, in a a theater in fucking... I don't even remember where in LA. It's a weird movie to see by yourself. You know what, I think I saw it in Pasadena. And yeah, I don't know what happened. It was super fun to watch. I was like, I wish I was
2: high on marijuana right now because I feel like that would It would- it, it, to have insights about it. I hadn't thought about that before because, but like the way it's filmed makes it the perfect movie for that. Uh,
0: I feel like I would have a panic yeah. attack. You would. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just cause it's like a lot of like-
0: Yeah, it is very cerebral. Intense. My girlfriend, she hasn't worked
1: in months. I keep telling her, girl, you need to retire.
0: Right.
1: Once you hit 21 in this industry, you're so irrelevant. Try
2: 20.
1: Yeah, sure. She won't listen. I mean, she's so desperate. The other day, she went uptown. She was trying to buy this baby seal fat from this random woman. (laughs) What, you think that's funny? No, I don't. (laughs) You ever had a girl screw you out of a job? Yes. So what'd you do about it? I ate her. <laughs> did y'all
2: watch scream queens scream queens <laughs> we did watch scream queens jay might start crying jay is in love with emma, emma roberts, roberts. <laughs> probably yeah, don't know right. but we have a really intense Leah michelle situation going on <laughs> <laughs> was one of the girls from that
1: movie in neon demon or is that is that just like something that would make sense but it's
2: Real. You know, Billy Lord does look like she could be in it. Yeah. And well, uh the main I, blonde girl, whatever her name is. Yeah,
0: Grace, whatever her name was. They're all just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. White blonde
2: women. <laughs> with like big eyes. Yeah, and bangs. <laughs> right.
0: <totally. laughs> how good with screen
1: queens though? I was like obsessed and I was like, This is indefensible. Like I don't feel like I want to talk on social media about how great this because it's so fucked up. But also like one of its primary targets is whiteness, so maybe that is worth talking about. But also like
2: yeah, that was a good show. Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay, so wait, just to be clear, are you talking about both seasons? Oh, yeah. Or what? just season one? You know what? Yeah,
1: I'm talking about both seasons. Yes! Uh,
2: <laughs> because a lot of people think season one was better. I think that they're both amazing. They both have merit.
0: But I do anybody has watched season two. But it
1: was a bummer what happened
0: to Chad Radwell. I was pretty disappointed um, because he's like one of my favorite fictional characters that I've ever seen. Like yes. Scene where there's the showers and he and um, John Stamos uh, are like. John okay, Stamos, thank you. When, when they're so good. Just, like, I can't believe this is on TV right now. I don't think anyone who hasn't watched Scream Queens is going to start now. <laughs> Although, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Scream Queens, you should! <laughs>
1: if you haven't watched season two of scream queens watch it and come back listen to the rest of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) this
0: is the best day of my life no one likes scream (laughs) queens so
1: this thing happened while I was out in LA where um I, I sort of stumbled into having an agent who was making me meetings or setting up meetings for me with like people from HBO and like Lena Dunham's production company and I kept being sort of like uh I stumbled into like this this TV writer thing like I don't actually know what I'm supposed I've been into lately. Dream um, Queens and the Eric Andre show. And they'd be like, great, we're not going to hire you for anything ever. <laughs> when I was in LA, I was like, so the novelist. Zoe Whittle from Canada is one of the only people that I had known who had written for TV before. So I was asking her about LA and she was sort of like, look, the first time anybody goes to LA to write for TV, it's like super lonely and you feel super alienated and depressed the whole time. And so that like kind of was my experience. And I was smoking a ton of weed there and the Eric Andre show was really good for that. So those two shows like really characterized
2: my experience of LA I think to some extent. R.I.P. Scream Queens. I miss it every day. I don't but I kind of do. I'm definitely Fine without it, but I do miss it. I. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. Let's put Kiki Palmer back on uh, TV.
0: Bring Kiki Palmer back to TV. I'll have a Trenta no foam five shot half cap no foam pumpkin spice latte with no foam at 210 degrees.
2: First of all, that's really hot. That's two degrees below boiling.
0: I'm sorry, did I enter a wormhole to a universe where this coffeehouse does not possess the technology to heat my favorite autumnal tradition to 210 degrees? I like my pumpkin spice lattes extra hot, so please comply with my request.
2: But extra hot is 170
0: degrees. I'm sorry, does your job description entail arguing with your customers, thereby delaying the moment at which they receive the irresistible, nutmeggy sweetness of the extra-hot, no-foam pumpkin spice latte they've been thinking about all day? I mean, God! So anyway, since we can't turn the cast-off pledges away, we're gonna have to scare them off. That's why I'm gonna burn your face off.
2: What? Hey, imagine, what time is it? <laughs> It's
0: time for one more thing. This week, our game is Robert.
2: If you could live in the world of any book, which would it be and why? My answer is really boring, so. It's Harry Potter. It is Harry Potter. I was sitting there Uh, thinking about it on the train and I was like, it can't be Harry Potter. That's too lame. Like, that's not interesting. And then I was like, it, but it, but it is. And uh, there's nothing else. That's the only answer.
0: (laughs) My answer is a little bit wild, especially because it is not in keeping with my personality. My answer is Valley of the Dolls, specifically the book. Please stop rolling your eyes because I think it is just like the wackiest world. And also there are so many lesbians in it. They really never sort of are like, oh no, the lesbians, they're just like very casually like 1950s Hollywood and they're lesbians. And she like moves to Mexico with her girlfriend. It's very fun. I w- and also, I would not be doing pills, so <laughs> I feel like I would have a nice time just, like, yeah, with all it. the women who were. It's a bad answer. <laughs> it is also the first book I saw in my room when I read that question. Oh, <laughs> And I, I was like, that one. I know, while you were talking, I walked over to the other side of my room, and I was like, oh,
1: what books do I have? I have so many books, and they're all, like, dystopias and, like, Stephen King. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. man. So I wish that I had an answer as good and, like, legible as Harry Potter, but um, I'm thinking about the books that I'm reading now now, actually, which is called Portland Diary by a writer named Jamie Baruch. Maybe Portland Diary 2016, 2017. It's a collection of short stories where the first story is about, like, this, like, Latina trans woman living in Portland who steals an award that Glad is going to be giving to this, like, rich, white trans woman who is, like, trying to get admission into the military for all trans women. And she- she like goes to this rich woman's house to give the award back but then ends up like locking her in her private gun range and calling up every trans woman she knows to come like do whatever she needs from a museum that's been converted into her mansion and then the short story collection just kind of goes from there it's so incredible and she such a good writer and it's grim a lot of the time like now that I'm thinking about it I'm a little like uh this is a really bleak book like I was trying to think of something happier but also like
0: that honestly feels like the world I think we all want to live in yeah I see that book that's a really much better answer than either of ours so where can our listeners find you Oh man, uh, where can you find me? I used to have a website, I think
1: it's gone now I have a Twitter account, I hate Twitter so much But it's the main social networking thing that I use anymore I can't handle Facebook, it's too overwhelming Y'all have the experience on Facebook where you like You log in and the first thing you see
0: You write three long paragraphs and then delete them And then can't look at Facebook for like five days Yeah, and then you have to like go to sleep Yeah,
1: totally yeah uh, so yeah probably Twitter it's, it's innocent on Twitter so that's probably
0: the best <laughs> what should our listeners read and listen to and watch oh
1: man I'm totally blanking oh, okay I can come up with something they should read Jean Thornton there's a writer named Jean Thornton who is one of the the main people at Instar book and she's got a book I think it's called The Green Emerald it's something The Green Emerald another collection of short stories it's just it's bonkers she writes such kind of emotionally powerful and gross and weird stuff they should totally be reading Jean Thornton they should be listening to Van Groke G-R-O-K-E who I don't think are around anymore but they're like a like queer sludgy metal noise band from portland that my band correspondents has played with a few times and are just the most wonderful people and then what should they watch should anyone watch what's good everything is bad they should watch scream queens we already talked about scream queens i don't get to pick
0: that yes no you do get to pick that we love scream queens
1: okay great. i'm gonna go with scream queens that's the only good thing to watch
0: i couldn't possibly agree more <laughs> So before we go, thank you to Sarah Kleist for one of our microphones.
2: Thank you to Megan Burnett for hooking us up.
0: Thank you to Dante Reed for also hooking us up.
2: Thank you to Stephanie Hawkins for the pictures.
0: Thank you to Imogen Benny.
2: And thank you to our Patreon subscribers, our friends with benefits, who are single-handedly supporting this entire season.
0: And thank you to our producer, Anna Verde, who's here, and her new associate, who is here with us today, who has been sitting quietly this whole time and you had no idea. Oh, she brought a snack. She brought a snack, and so she seems to be incapable of talking. <laughs> <laughs> She's just pointing at the. Sn- if you watch Orange yeah, Is the yeah, New like Black. It. <laughs> <laughs> it will smell on my chair. Anyway, subscribe to us on iTunes and have follow, a nice night. Follow us or dare, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: bitchiest. See you next time. Bye. I'm stressed. <laughs>
0: Nate Jordan says it's the smallest sound yeah but I barely get to the why of the yeah before Jordan's brushing something soft and warm like the inside of a bagel across my lips and then I feel a boiled breath all over my cheeks and exhale and I'm sweet and sour and hot and cold all at the same moment an ice cube doused in diesel the fuck oh they're kissing
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's kissing a boy for the first time got it
0: got it got it got it got it (laughs)